Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Podcast, the one that you heard about, talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth, social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be, talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next, cause that's the type of podcast you listen to, powered by the hyper, brands who the man, yo, Ryan at the forefront, got it on my iTunes, walking through the storefront, listen to the broadcast, he touches almost anything, sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing, so listen to the man right ahead of his time, on your podcast, you can download or listen live, so here comes the podcast here comes your host the burger shop now live from coast to coast in any way you want to do it listen to the show ron got the insights the burger shop you know Yes, we are back. It is Ryan Berger taking you through another episode of Inside the Burger Shop, episode number 39, June 28th, 2016. It is a sticky, humid, warm day, a little bit of rain here in New York, and uh, excited to spend the next hour, uh, 90 minutes, talking about uh, a number of things with two really fantastic guests, and uh, looking forward to uh, talking to Brian Berger, uh, with a great last name, of course, uh, talking Sports Biz Radio and the summit that Brian is hosting next month uh, with the Players' Tribune uh, out at, in San Francisco at Twitter, and I'm looking forward to spending some time uh, with those guys out in San Francisco next month, and then we will talk to the great Tommy D, who is all over the Knicks, uh, the, the Knicks moves, and Phil Jackson, and we'll talk to Tommy about what is going on with the D. Rose trade and his thoughts on it. And, of course, Tommy has confirmed over his Twitter that uh, Kevin Durant will be taking a meeting. I know that the Vertical and others have not reported that yet, but Tommy has and uh, actually had a tweet out and got some incredible activity uh, on that tweet with over a 1,000 likes and a lot of retweets. And we'll talk to Tommy about what he's hearing uh, regarding Kevin Durant and, and the Knicks in just a couple of minutes. Of course, a great last show. Uh, we had the mouth of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, Joe Schwartz, on talking about uh, Game 7 and, and the Sixers and what they did uh, in draft night with the addition of Ben Simmons. And, boy, are they long when you look at their uh, potential lineup that they could put out there with Okafor and, and Simmons and if they bring Sarek over. Uh, they've got a bunch of six Noel, a bunch of six ten, six eleven guys, especially if Embiid can get healthy. So that's a team with a lot of length. Um, and of course, thanks to Joe Schwartz for spending some time with us last week. And of course, thanks to Hyper for uh, being a founding sponsor of the show. Uh, Hyper is the leader in influencer and celebrity uh, data. You can find out more information uh, about Hyper at Hyper Brands, H-Y-P-R brands.com and hyper just released their 2.0 version of their platform it is a can't miss 
platform for anyone who's interested in engaging and hiring celebrities and, and influencers. So head over to hyperbrands.com and, and check that out. And of course, thanks to our other sponsor, the Crowdsline and Crowdsline, the leader in predictive gaming. Head over to CBS Sportsline or any of the other sports websites where you can make your prediction uh, and see it come true later that night. And after a great NBA Finals predictive performance, the Crowdsline is off to an impressive start for the CFL. With the CFL, there are about four games a week. Last week was the first week. And the Crowdline favorites won two of four games, while as Vegas lost all four games versus the Vegas spread. The crowd's line was on the correct side three of the four games. Come and play CFL Week 2 and see what the crowd thinks. Also, the crowd's line will have weekly American and National League MLB games for the baseball fans. With the crowd's line, you can only win, and you play for free. You are always eligible for Amazon and Starbucks prizes, and you always have access to predictive data and information that you cannot get anywhere else. The crowd's line, the best predictive model in the space today. And now that we've uh, sort of conquered all of that and we get ready for our guests along with uh, an all-new heat report uh, brought to you by Hyper, we'll look at three individuals in the Hyper Heat Index today. Derek Rose, the man of about town the last couple of days in New York. We also look at Ben Simmons and what his social data looks like now that he's been the number one pick in the NBA draft. And we will look at... The Zen master, Phil Jackson, and some of his cryptic tweets that he sends, and what does his social media audience look like and, and whatnot. So we will look at the hyperheat index uh, as we get to the latter part of our show. And in the meantime, we are blessed to be joined by uh, a guy who's become a regular on the show and clearly a guy who's uber-connected to the NBA, specifically the New York uh, Knicks. And that is my good buddy, uh, Tommy D. And, Tommy, thanks for stepping off the golf course today and uh, spending a little bit of time with Inside the Burger Shop. I hope all is well. How is everything, sir? How did you know? I, like, I just got off the putting green. That, 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 that's interesting. Do I, are you tracking me somehow with my phone? Or, I, I literally uh, did just get off the putting green. But uh, great to uh, be with you, and uh, uh, happy summer, my friend. How, how's everything on your It end? is. And things are well. Things are well, and I know uh, based on what your handicap is that you were probably practicing golf. So it's a good uh, guess for me to make. And when you putt the ball the way you do and roll it the way you you do, it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. Uh, so I know uh, you are dedicated to your to your hobby and to your sport. But enough about. Uh, the golf, and I'm sure me and you can talk about golf for a long time. Let's get right into what everybody's looking to hear, and that's uh, what's going on with our favorite team, the New York Knickerbockers. You've been ear to the ground, uh, as connected as it gets. And so let's start with uh, what we heard last week, and you know, right before the draft, news breaks of of a big deal with with, with Derek Rose, and sort of give us a sense of how that came about. Uh, and then we could talk a little bit about what your thoughts are actually about the trade itself. You know, the Rose stuff was very interesting. And, you know, I, I think Melo, has, Carmelo Anthony said it best, you know, that they needed to, you know, really make a move, right, that uh, put them in a position uh, of strength and, and, hey, we're serious to go after the key free agents. And, and there's really one at, at the top, right, and that's Kevin Durant. So to, to be able to bring in Derrick Rose on, on what is – and really not give up that many assets. They didn't give up – got one back. So to be able to bring in a player of Rose's caliber with so much cap space and so much opportunity after this year, I think it's, it's, an, it's more of an attractive sell for uh, any free agent who could be, um, you know um, – who they could pitch, right? And I think the, the Rose trade, you know, at its core is a pretty low-risk move, but it's the first piece. We all know Phil's a chess player. We all know he loves to manipulate situations as best he can. It's the first piece, and it, and it allows for a greater discussion. I think it's a great move. I, I, I feel great, maybe a little strong, but I feel it's, it's a good enough move for them to have a stronger seat at the table should they get that. And from what I understand, uh, that's something that's going to be happening 
uh, at, at some point in the near future. You know, it's interesting. The, the whole idea that the, that the Knicks over the past 15, 20 years have brought in a number of, of point guards, usually older veteran point guards. People point to guys like Marbury and Billups and, you know, Kidd and Felton 1, Felton 2, Felton 3, you know, an on and on saga of point guards who haven't really stuck. Here's another one who comes in, former MVP, 28 years old, all the talent in the world, you know, obviously making an incredible amount of money. You know, it's a deal that I'm a big fan of. They didn't give up much, and they also got someone back who, if he plays great, he's on a contract year, he's going to be motivated to play his ass off. But at the same time, if it doesn't work out, that, that cap room expands. You know, I, I, I know that they love Westbrook. I know Westbrook loves here. You know, my thought is, is that this is sort of a one-year trial period to see where it goes. But, of course, you know, it gives them what I think they're really looking for, which is the chance to keep their options open and, and clearly, I think Mello is on board with this move. Uh, other free agents, now they have a story to tell with the three of Rose, you know, Carmelo and Porzingis. Now, how much was this deal made, Tommy, to be good next year versus have enough room in the cap to get to where they want to get to? Or is this a deal that sort of accomplishes both of those things, which in that case is a home run? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's both. I, I think – and and the the Westbrook stuff for me always points to L.A. And the first thing, the Lakers, first thing I look at in that sense is are, how aggressively are they going out trying to shop and push for uh, a free agent like DeMar DeRozan, who's from uh, L.A., you know, bringing a, a, a player who, when you look at his talent and his stats, and advanced stats across the board, would really do big things for what the Lakers are trying to accomplish. But the Lakers, in the, sense, in the same sense as the Knicks, are the team that wants to make the big move. They want to bring the big stars, obviously, because of the market. And I think it's very funny. Last year, everybody was talking about how small markets are competing and it's not this big market, small market um, situation, really. It will always be that. Like, it'll never be a flat playing line in terms of, you know, big markets and small markets. I feel like if as long as the Lakers can stay patient and feel like they're developing young players, Westbrook will be the one, in my mind anyway, the one player that would be, if you want to talk about what what's this offseason is, is about for the Knicks and hedging their own bet, they're all in on Durant. And they have ultimate cap space next year because they can decide what they want to do with Rose, whether it's whole, you know utilizes hold, and, you know, maybe not max him, but create a, a situation where he can, uh, you know, get a little bit of a salary raise. But bringing in a big, quote-unquote, player in, in Durant gives them what the Heat actually had when they first when, – when LeBron made the decision. This is what Pat Riley wrote about this today. This is what Pat Riley did uh, in 2010. Gave them – the landscape to bring in the Battiers, bring in the Ray Allens, bring in the best of the best second and third tier role players that really made Miami, Miami. You and I both know when LeBron made the decision, we both said, oh my gosh, they're going to be so great for the next five, six, seven years. They're going to dominate the NBA. They did after they brought in those secondary, you know, accoutrement players, not, right off the bat. They sure they made it to the finals. They ended up losing to Dallas. But they haven't they, they didn't dominate the NBA and win six straight championships like we all felt they would. But what Phil's doing is creating the, you know, back end ability to bring in really talented players, uh, should Durant choose the Knicks this summer. You know, you mentioned DeMar DeRozan. We know from the hyper data, DeMar with almost 1.5 million followers on Facebook and another million on Instagram. He's a name that uh, that has been thrown around a lot, clearly a USC kid, but also someone who claims to want to stay in Toronto. You know, you, you, these free agent rumors are really all over. I'm sure, you know, some people believe certain people, some people believe, you know, believe others. The, the Durant saga is an interesting situation. You know, as everybody knows on this show, I reported 
started about a year and a half ago. I uh, had a very close conversation with his top source who made it clear that Kevin loved New York. Uh, he did was a very, very big fan of Coach Fisher, and my thought was that uh, Knicks had a better shot if Coach Fisher was still the coach uh, with getting KD versus now. Now, there has been a lot of talk about who KD will be meeting with, um, and there's been no confirmation that KD will be meeting with the Knicks. Uh, Tommy, you have you have reported that you indeed uh, have a source that KD will be meeting with the Knicks. So, um, so regardless of whether he, you know, sort of what people are saying or not, taking your word that he is going to meet with the Knicks, I mean, what is the pitch that you expect to fill to give a guy like Durant, knowing where he's got teams on the list that, you know, and, and, and like Golden State and like Miami, and he has made it clear that, and Carmelo has made it clear that KD will sign with the team that he thinks has the best chance to win. What do you feel like is Phil's pitch to a guy like KD coming up in the next couple of days? I, I think, but I don't think, I, I, I'll, I'll be firm on this in the sense of the, the pitch for Phil is I have more rings than I have fingers. So if you're a player that doesn't have a ring, like, let's be, let's be real. LeBron chose Miami because of flexibility you know, cap space and, and Pat Riley's ability to close. That's, that, that's a fact. I, the Knicks feel if you can get Phil Jackson into a room with Kevin Durant, he's going to walk out of there saying, I want to sign with the Knicks. The confidence, what, and that's the thing that really I was, you know, most um, taken aback by this weekend when I sent out uh, the tweets from what I was hearing with, on the Knicks side, clear on the, on the Durant side before we talk about the Knicks side. Kevin Durant hasn't confirmed any meetings. <laughs> the, the meetings are all ESPN and, and Adrian Wojnarowski does a great job with vertical. And, you know, the, the, Kevin hasn't said what is, who he's meeting with at all. And I think that's a very important point in all this. But the confidence that I was getting over the weekend from the Knicks side got stronger and stronger as, I started to learn that Mello was more in the picture. And then you got to be careful with the tampering stuff. So you got to be really careful about what you report. And so if we take it back to the pitch part, which, you know, we still got a couple weeks before he has to make a decision, almost two weeks. Walking, having Phil feels very com- com- comfortable and confident that if he's in a room, he can close it. If he knows through back channel stuff that, to be fair, conversation with Melo is pretty significant. It's not really back channel. If, if he feels that Durant's going to go back for one year and not commit long term, then he's got as good a shot at any this year or next year to bring him to New York because of what we talked about before with the, the wide open kind of back end space of adding those the best of the best role players. It, Pat Riley did not sell LeBron James on the idea that, hey, I'm going to get you Ray Allen and I'm going to get you Shane Battier. He sold him on the idea that I have rings and I'm, I'm making you promises. If, Ryan, you tell me, did, did Pat Riley deliver everything that LeBron James, you know, or that he sold LeBron James on when he made that decision in 2010? I'm not sure about that. He still yeah, only, no, I think it's only, progressive. Only, it takes time. He only won two rings in Miami. Only won two rings in Miami. Right. Very much against the I'll bring five, I'll bring six, I'll bring seven. So, you know, understood. So, Tommy, what is the plan, let's say, how they get Durant? So, you know, Durant's, you know, the challenge I have with a guy like Durant is my belief initially was he will sign that one-year deal and he will stay with Russ, and then together they'll make the decision um, at the end of this year. I would be stunned if he signs a long-term deal in OKC right now with all the things that could sort of happen, whether it's a two-year deal, the one-year player option, uh, and then has a chance to then sort of do all this all over again. But then I start to hear from some people that uh, KD doesn't want to sign a one-year deal, that he is interested in a long-term, and that does make sense for him from a health standpoint because he's had major foot issues and he doesn't want to, you know, risk signing a one-year deal and then, you know, missing out on the big, the big payday. Now, what do you think KD's strategy is right now? 
if I'm advising KD, when you look at everything that's happened here over the last five, six years, and in general, I, I always, I mean, the, 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 the smartest people find a way to make, have the most success and have it be the easiest, right? So what's the easiest decision for KD to make? There, in my mind, there's three. The easiest decision for him to make personally, if his goals are to be a great player, win championships, and, and, uh, and, and continue his career taking it to the next level, would be to sign a long-term deal with the Warriors. But that sets the expectation level up really high, so they can't lose, and that's a, that's a risk. So that's, I wouldn't say that's necessarily you know, super easy, but let's just for argument's sake say, listen to everybody else who's reporting and say, oh, how can you not sign with the Warriors? All right, it's okay, that's fine. That, that's the easiest. Two, sign with the, the Spurs, right? Do the same thing, same kind of concept. The Spurs kind of on their way down a little bit, even though they won, you know, 60, what was it, 67, 68 games last year. You know, they are a year older, but Durant comes down there and Aldridge could work, could not work. Okay, that's easy. And if you want to put the Warriors and the Spurs as one and one A, that's fine too. The other easiest thing would be to sign a long-term deal with Oklahoma City. You don't have to worry about this anymore. You know, you're pretty sure that you and Westbrook could potentially be a, a duo now for the next four or five years, and you really get a chance to go out and win a championship together, and you want to build on the progress that you had last year. You like Billy Donovan. You do that too. The other easy thing is to sign a long-term deal with the Knicks who have flexibility and have opportunity and are in the East by the way, which we've talked about. We've been on the phone for about, what, 20 minutes now, 15 minutes, and we haven't talked about probably the most logical, easiest move would be, hey, go to the East to get out of this, you know, the conference that has two, that had two teams that almost, you know, broke records with the regular season wins. Didn't win championship, by the way. But, you know, the, the, the balance is always shifted towards the West in terms of talent. Why not go East and, and go right to the Eastern Conference Finals, which I believe they would now that Derrick Rose is in tow with another year of Porzingis and obviously a healthier Carmelo Anthony only at 31. So when you look at the ease of things, what's the common denominator of what I just said? Sign a long-term deal. Do it. Just get it out of the way. I'll be wherever I'm going to be for the next three or four or five years doesn't seem to be what that uh, what the ultimate decision will be and that's why the intrigue continues and seems to just be building more and more every day we're talking to the great tommy d you can follow him on twitter at thomas c d e e and he can credit me for changing his twitter handle because it was so impossible to to figure out and now <laughs> he's got a new one you could you could follow him again at at Thomas CD. So we've talked a lot about KD, and we know from the hyper data, Durant with over 14 million Twitter followers, about 8 million Instagram followers. Interestingly, about 8% of his audience in the Philippines and 4% of his social media audience from Canada and the UK and South Africa. KD is a global icon. He's going to be playing for Team USA in a couple of weeks, representing the U.S. In, in Rio. And we've talked a lot about Durant on, on this call, but you know, what is plan B, Tommy? You know, the, 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 a lot of people believe Durant's a pipeline, you know, a pipe dream. You know, you've reported not only the meeting, but you feel comfortable that the Knicks believe they'll be in the final three. You know, what is plan B if Kevin Durant doesn't come to New York to ensure that they could continue to stay uh, or become uh, competitive and have a good season, but at the same time ensure that they are, you know, cap uh, positive going into the following year when that cap expires? I think they have. I think they have a few uh, Plan Bs. I, as we as we talk right now, I'm. I believe it's a long shot that Kevin Durant will be a Nick in, in, in this year. If he decides, I think they have plans for whatever he decides. If he decides a long term deal with another team, then they have they have to go uh, in another direction, first direction. I believe. Then this is this is interesting. Is it Joakim Noah or is it Dwight Howard? You know, Phil has a lot of, uh, and this has been reported, including myself, he likes Joakim Noah. Uh, Carmelo likes Dwight Howard. So now it turns into what's the next step? Is it, Would there be some sort of butting head? Right now I feel, as it relates to Durant, Phil and Melo are on the same page. 
if, if Durant all of a sudden just says, hey, I'm going to go sign a five-year deal and stay in, Orlando, uh, in Oklahoma City, or I'm going to go sign a five-year deal anywhere else other than New York, uh, that next step to me is, is very fascinating. Is it Noah? Or do they go through, and, and I ultimately what I believe is they'll be flexible because if Durant signs a one-year contract, they want to go through this process again. So in a, in a very similar way, like they went out and brought in a Flalo and they brought in Derek and certainly Robin Lopez, they'll bring in option contracts that are in two years and any multiple-year deal that they do will be, will be tradable, which is much trickier this year than it is last year. Can they bring in a guy like Baysmore to help in the backcourt, you know, uh, at, at four years or five years, at, you know, 15 year, a million per or whatever he's going to be worth? Is that a tradable deal? Do they bring in a, a veteran? Do they bring in Noah at four years feeling like they can trade him this time next year when we go, this, go through this whole process again like they did with, uh, with Robin Lopez and bringing in uh, uh, Derek, Derek Rose? I think plan B is dependent on – definitely what Durant decides to do. If he's not in New York uh, and it's only a one-year deal, then they'll remain flexible and they'll bring in a multiple-year contract that they feel like they can trade. Very, very good stuff, Tommy. Very, very insightful and very, very interesting stuff. You know, I want to quickly, before we let you go, um, talk about the draft itself. I know you're, you know, very connected into the scouting space and 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 well connected to a lot of the players, especially the local guys. And you know, people thought it was a, you know, it was a very different sort of a draft. You know, it had a little bit of a Porzingis effect where, um, because so many of the great players or the decent players in college continue to leave after one year you're left with what I believe is just a complete uh, crapshoot, unproven players starting at the top, even though Simmons and Ingram are more proven because you've seen them play 30 games than the other guys. Um, you know, you're picking 18-year-old kids. The idea of rebuilding through the draft has, for the most part, disappeared because these guys need a couple years when they get in the league, and there's not a lot of them that are uh, that impactful. And you know, teams like the Celtics are picking guys to keep them over in Europe for a couple of years. We've watched the Sixers have Embiid hurt, have Sarek overseas, now have Noel and have Okafor and, of course, add in uh, Simmons this, this draft. You know, what's your take on how this whole thing has changed uh, and, and how it's affected the league? You, know, you look at these teams, you look at a team like Kentucky and you know, a guy like uh, Scalabissier who comes out because he's scared that he's not going to start as a sophomore because they're bringing in all these big-time freshmen who will then go to the league. It's, it's changed the best sport in the world, college poops, into a totally different sport, and it's, of course, delivered a much different filter into the NBA of a, of a pool of kids who aren't ready and are being drafted simply on potential. Now, what is your take on, on where this is and, and potentially how it can get fixed? The two guys that I look at here, and it's such a great I, – I, I appreciate the question, and it's so well thought out. The two guys that I look at are Wayne Selden and Bryce Johnson, right? Bryce snuck into the back end of the first round, and Selden ended up in the second round. One guy's got guaranteed money. He, he, the, the bill of goods that he was sold when he went to North Carolina – uh, regard, okay, so he probably was sold, he'd be a lottery pick, and, and that's why you go. Obviously, both guys are not one-and-done guys, but the point being, if you go to a certain school and you don't reach where you feel like you were going to be reached or re- could possibly reach coming out of high school, it changes everything. And the dynamic versus Europe and all these European players who are coming in that nobody's heard of, we all sat around the draft and were like, who's this guy, who's this guy, who's this this is the great value of Draft Express and Jonathan Gaboni. Well, and you not know Jonathan, and we've we've watched that platform grow greatly, and it's it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, platform because of their connect, connection and the, and the and the vision of knowing that it was go, the game was going to be going to Europe. Fran Fraschilla has an immense value, amazing basketball mind, but because he's out in Europe talking about, he can speak to these guys when everybody else like who they barely can pronounce the names. And then you well, you can take it, it even a step the... further. You can take it a step further. There was a bunch of players that were from America that people didn't know because people don't For sure. don't see those teams. They don't know who these guys are. Even if you watch, 
you know, Oklahoma, and no one watches more college hoop than me or you, but, you know, you watch Oklahoma State in, you know, Big 12, big conference. I mean, what, maybe see him play four or five times that a kid, I mean, Jalen Brown's a great example, right? Kid goes to Cal, gets drafted after his first year. He's a West Coast kid. He's picked third, doesn't get run in the tourney. Like, no one, what, maybe the people who are hardcore basketball fans, but this guy was picked third. So it's not about picking guys in Slovenia or Slovakia or all over the country or the world that no one knows. It's actually about people don't know the players in this country. And, and, and look at the Knicks with Porzingis last year. The value is, is being able to not only recognize – it's threefold. You have to recognize there's talent. You have to look at how you can potentially develop it as an organization. Do you want to hold on to this player? Are you committed to this player? The beauty of what the Knicks have in Porzingis is they are fully committed to developing him into what, the, you know, what he will ultimately be, which is a transcendent big player. The, the only thing keeping Porzingis from being an all-time great player is health. His head is on straight. He's got a great support. Got a chance to know his his, his folks over the last you know uh, uh, eight months, nine months. He, he bring, bringing players from overseas into a situation and developing and nurturing and building building them creates greatness. That is always going to be the key. When you have players who are supposed to be you know in their minds lottery picks who get you know drafted back in the first round and even second rounds, that's when you have problems. That's when, you have, when there, that's when there's dissent within locker rooms, and then it becomes a problem. It's a problem that starts when they're 14 or 15 years old, and uh, I'm not sure how to fix it, but uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it for years to come. It's an impossible fix because the guys want, you know, it's not like they grow up. Someone made a great point the other day that, you know, you used to be able to evaluate players based on other pros who they play against. And, you know, Ewing would play against other pros for 30 games at a time. But now you watch college basketball and these guys are playing uh, and being matched up against zero pros or maybe one pro. Or, you know, you look at a guy like Ingram, I'm sure he played against a couple pros in, you know, at Duke. But overall, it's so hard to evaluate evaluate these guys and you look at a team like Boston who uh, had eight picks and tried everything they could to, uh, to get rid of picks and teams just don't want you know don't want those picks and then the other side is you look at a team like the Indiana who got a lot stronger and probably became the second best team in the East by making a couple moves and getting rid of their picks and not waiting three you know three years to uh, get a guy who's going to improve and instead bring in you know bring in Teague and bring in you know Thaddeus Young and put them together with uh, a great prospect in Miles Turner. And now you look at the job that Bird has done. So it's a very different sort of you know formula of, of who when you pick, who you pick, you know, and, and if you use your pick. And you know, I do I want to quickly ask you one more hey, thing. Run, know, reg- Ryan, I, you get, Ryan, go ahead, Tommy. I, do, I gotta I have to jump uh now. Great talking to you and look forward to talking again real soon. Thanks, Tommy. You're the best. We forgot Tommy uh has a uh, another interview on hoops right now with NBC, so um, we apologize that Tommy had a brief uh, jump off at at 4 p.m. But he's uh, so connected to the Knicks and everything going on with the Knicks, and has confirmed through his own sources that uh, that Kevin Durant will be meeting with the Knicks. So we will uh, hopefully Tommy is right on that fold, and we will uh, we will watch and uh, watch a lot. And of course, you can reach Tommy at, at Thomas uh, CD on on Twitter. So. Thanks, Tommy, uh, for jumping on and, and for the whole uh, Knicks Sports blog. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm, you know, I'm really excited to uh, bring on our second guest. Uh, he, of course, uh, has the best last name in the world, and uh, that's uh, Brian Berger uh, out on the West Coast. And uh, Brian has uh, had an incredibly interesting career. Um, was a marketing manager uh, and head of communications at the Portland Trailblazers for 11 years and has run his own PR agency uh, after that. He's also runs a company called Partner. Uh, he's the partner in everything on the record with uh, Rick Buecher, the former uh, ESPN basketball reporter. Um, he's the founder and host of Sports Biz Radio and, and the founder and CEO of 
the sports PR summit, and that's how uh, Brian and I were uh, able to become uh, friends, and, and I'm happy to call him a friend, and we got together about a month ago at the Players' Tribune, and we'll be getting together in about a month from now at, at Twitter and Bleacher Report in San Francisco, and I'm unbelievably excited to have him on the show today and, and introduce him to, to our audience. So uh, with that great introduction, uh, welcome uh, Brian Berger to Inside the Burger Shop podcast how are you double b i'm doing great ryan how are you i'm doing great and it's great to have another burger on inside the burger shop it's sort of funny people call my children sliders so we won't call you sliders but maybe we got to get a nickname for you that is a little bit better than the same last name that we both have my brother from another mother (laughs) i love it how's everything in the west coast it's great. Yeah, this is a good time of year to be on the West Coast. Beautiful weather, no humidity. Uh, it's nice and uh, excited for our event coming up July 19 and 20 in San Francisco. It's a beautiful city there, and uh, it seems like I don't get there enough from Portland, but uh, I'm excited to go there. I can't wait either. It should be a lot of fun. We had so much fun a month ago at the Players' Tribune at the Sports uh, PR Summit about a month ago. Some really great attendees, great panels, great discussions, um, a lot of lot of really great partners. And you know, you you do a really good job hosting the event and, and sort of hosting your podcast and clearly broadcasting and hosting was something that uh, is a passion of yours, something that you're clearly you know extremely you know talented in. And but before all that began, you you know, you, you were the leading uh, communications guy over at the Portland Trailblazers 11 years. How did that get started? It sounds like that's a job that most people would dream about. You know, how does something like that get started? You know, talk to us a little bit about leaving Loyola Marymount and getting into a business like, you know, getting a phone call from the Portland Trailblazers to come in and run their public relations. So I'll start off by saying I was there for six years um, instead of 11, but you know, I, I tell people all the time, I started at the bottom. I was an intern. I was making $500 a month. I started in the broadcasting department of the Blazers and, you know, got people coffee and pulled cable and did whatever I could, uh, you know, attended every meeting I could and, and worked my way up the ladder. Uh, the Blazers expanded from Memorial Coliseum, which they sold out every game for 18 years in a row, to uh, a new arena that is now the Moda Center, which started in 1995, so it was fun to be a part of that effort. But, yeah, it it was great. It was a fun six-year run, but I kind of felt like it was Groundhog Day at the end of those six years. Same season, you know, kind of the same stuff over and over again, and I had a lot of things that I wanted to do outside of that umbrella, so I launched my own strategic PR firm in, in 1998, and you know, ever since then, it's been fun to collaborate with different people from different companies, and um, every day is different for me, and I really enjoy that, whether I'm wearing my strategic PR hat, whether I'm working on the sports PR summit events, whether I'm hosting sports business radio, or maybe I'm sitting in a locker room working with coaches and athletes for our media training and social media training company. Everything is on the record. So I like the variety. I'm someone who likes a lot of different variety, and uh, I am a very lucky person to do what I do. I want to talk about the Blazers when you were there six years and uh, what you were up to there and who was there. You know, give us sort of a take on you know, what, what was that environment like working there, maybe a, a story on what was sort of your favorite story working there, and, of course, wh- who's your favorite player, favorite Blazer of all time or favorite Blazer when you, know, when you were there? So the first thing I'll start by saying is I was there right before I left, right before the Jailblazer era started. So everyone always asks that. They're like, were you there during the Jailblazers? And I got out right before that era came. Um, I would say one of my favorite stories is my very first day as an intern with the Blazers in June of 1992. I came on board the day after the Blazers beat the Utah Jazz in the Western Conference Finals to advance to the NBA Finals against Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, again, I'm an intern. I don't know anyone. I'm expecting to do all the grunt work. And uh, this was when the organization was only 40 full-time staffers. And I walk into a boardroom, and there's an all-staff meeting, 
And the head of the office said that Paul Allen has chartered a plane and everyone in the organization is invited to hop on the plane the next day and fly to Chicago and go see the NBA Finals. And I thought, this has got to be the best first day ever anywhere. I'm, I'm hopping on a chartered flight with steak and lobster and, you know, all kinds of food and excitement, and I'm going to watch games one and two of the NBA Finals. So that would be a tough first day to beat anywhere. Um, you know, as far as my favorite Blazer player, I have someone who uh, is near and dear to me. He's actually a very good friend of mine, and he's a, a past client, Brian Grant, who played for the Blazers for a few years. Mm-hmm. Brian now has Parkinson's. Yeah. Um, he has raised a lot of money to fight Parkinson's and to help people who are diagnosed with Parkinson's now. You know, most people know him for his dreadlocks and his kind of lunch pail approach to playing. He battled against Shaq and Carl Malone, you know, he's only 6'9", but he, he went at it with, you know, all those guys and, you know, really big heart off of the court. So he'd probably be my favorite Blazer player that I've worked with. Interesting. Yeah, BG was a warrior. I think he wore number 44, big dreadlocks. Yep. He just dominated the glass. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. Those those Trailblazers teams were fun, man, you know, with, with Rashid and, and, you know, obviously a couple of years earlier with, you know, Terry Porter and Drexler and Kevin Duckworth, R.I.P. I mean, they had a, you know, Uncle Cliff. They had a really nice, you know, couple of years there. And the Rose Garden is such a fun place to uh, to play and, 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 and watch a game. And, you know, it must have been really interesting, you know, to – to, to work out of there. So, so your business is based out of Portland and you do so many different things, um, you know, of course with the Blazers and now on your own, but you're very much focused on, you know, public relations and, and conversation. And obviously I'm a, I'm a big fan of that also. And, you know, how do you work with brands today? So a brand comes to you and is it traditional public relations in the sense where they need to get coverage on a certain product, on a, on a certain idea, on a certain angle? I mean, take us through the sense of where you are today coming from the Blazers and then starting your own PR agency a long time ago. I mean, PR has changed dramatically over the past 15 years. I mean, what are you doing today with it and how different is it from when you first started? Oh, it's so different. Today, I mean, with social media alone, it, it's changed it so much. Um, with the decline of the mainstream media, the local newspapers, the local TV stations, um, it's really changed a lot. You know, I would say when a client comes to me, they're looking for, you know, kind of starting ground up on things. Um, you know, sometimes it's we need to media train our key spokespeople. We need to prepare key messages for those spokespeople. We need to make them succinct and memorable. What stories do we have to tell that are memorable with our audience? Um, and then, you know, what is your social media strategy? Because, you know, now it's not just about telling your stories through the mainstream media. It's about how do you activate your own social media platforms, which, by the way, I think are more sustainable over time than you know, really going all in on hoping that the media is going to tell your story and that that's going to resonate to your audience. So um, it's probably those things the most. Every once in a while I'll have a client that will say, hey, can you help us throw a party and and get key influencers there who can talk about our product? You know, I've done work for Nike. I know the people at Adidas. Because I'm based in Portland, um, you know, I always say on Sports Business Radio, this is the sports business capital of North America. Under Armour is now opening, you know, offices here. Um, so many sports businesses are headquartered out of Portland because of the designers and kind of the supply chain that exists here and the talent pool that exists. Um, you know, a lot of these companies are kind of, someone leaves Nike, they go to Adidas or they go to Under Armour and, and vice versa. So, Um, It's an interesting place to be based. It's one of the reasons that I've stayed here. I have access to a lot of sports business executives and um, people. A lot of people think I'm based in New York or they think I'm based in San Francisco because that's where our events are, the Sports PR Summit in New York and then the Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop in San Francisco. But as you probably experience, you know, I really believe we live in this virtual world now. I mean, I could go set up shop pretty much anywhere and – you know, help my clients or run an event. And that's kind of the cool thing about the world we live in today is that, you know, I can run events in New York and San Francisco, but I can be based in in Portland, Oregon. 
Perfect. I mean, it's it's such a it's such a connected world, and you can really be anywhere doing you know doing anything. And of course, your reputation and your brand is you know so connected in the sports space. And you work with a lot of uh, uh, brands that are local, like you mentioned, of course, global brands, national brands. Are you doing a lot in the sports space still? Working with teams, working with leagues. You know, you are really connected to players and, and leagues and commissioners. You've had some of the great guests that anybody could have on. You know, show from David Stern to Jack Nicholas, Mark Cuban, Dan Gilbert, the, the list goes on and on. Are you doing anything really in the sports space when it comes to PR for the leagues or for the teams? You know, it, it's a delicate dance, right? Um, you know, on Sports Business Radio, I've had some of those people that you mentioned, and, you know, I've always said on my show, I'm able to have conversations with them that are different than anyone else because most of the time I have some sort of a personal relationship with them. So, you know, when you're comfortable talking to someone, when you trust someone, they're going to open up in a way with you that they might not with other people. Um, you know, David Stern was my first ever guest in 2004, and I did the last full-length interview with him when, when he retired. And, you know, to this day, that's the most listened-to interview in – the 12 years that we've had Sports Business Radio on the air. Um, you know, Jeannie Buss is someone that I've gotten to know and sat down with her at USC the day after Kobe Bryant announced that he was going to be retiring. And, you know, she opened up and, you know, was very candid at USC when we sat down because we take our show on the road a few times a year to universities and do the, sto- the show in front of a, a live studio audience. But so, yes, I do some consulting for leagues, teams, brands. Um, But, you know, I have to be really careful. I always say the best version of sports business radio would be the version that I can't air because I know a lot of things, but I have confidentiality agreements with my clients and I can't talk about those things. I can't breach that confidence on my show. But if I could talk about the things that I've seen over the years um, with some of my clients or you know, the things that I know about that I can't talk about until they become public, that would be an even more interesting version uh, of our show. <laughs> that is very, very good Good way of, you know, of, of putting it is there's so many uh, amazing things that you want to talk about, but sometimes can't say that or, or can't hear where, you know, where it's coming. So I uh, know that know that really well and we're talking to uh brian berger and he's the ceo and founder of uh sports business radio and the sports pr summit you can follow both of those on twitter at sb radio and at sports pr summit and we actually have your hyper data right here brian and we know from all of your social media channels we know that your male to female breakdown why don't we ask you uh, looking at your social media audience how many men from a percentage standpoint do you think follow you versus females you know, I'd say I think it's pretty even, but you know, I don't know. I would say sixty forty male. Am I am I in the ballpark? A little bit. You're in the ballpark, uh, maybe the old Yankee Stadium, but not in the new Yankee Stadium. Seventy nine percent males follow you. Twenty one percent females. You have uh, we know from the hyper data, sixty five percent of your social following is from the U S. and four percent is from the UK and four percent is from Canada and then you have three percent from Jamaica and two percent from uh, Australia so you're an international guy and then when we look at your age demographics we see about 15 percent of your audience is 19 to 25 years old 25 percent is 26 to 32 and 34 percent is 33 to 39 and about 19 percent is 40 to 46 so really spread yourself out from 19 to 46 pretty you know pretty equally and uh we also know that your audience interests are baseball football marketing and hockey so when you talk about those four things with baseball and football being the most your audience likes to hear about that stuff more than anything else so i think that fits directly into your you know to your brand that's interesting uh data that, uh, you know, I've not heard that before, that breakdown. So that's great that you guys accumulate that data. And certainly I think our audience would be interested in that as well. But yeah, the thing that's been great about our show is we started podcasting back in 2006 when iTunes first started allowing people to podcast. So, you know, even as a radio show, we were on that early train, so to speak. And 
we've built a really nice global audience. I hear from people all over the world, and you know, I know that our podcast is used in classrooms. It's used, you know, in sports organizations, and and that's frankly the highest praise that we can get is. You know, when people say this is a learning tool for their organization or for their university, that's really uh, great praise for us because it means that they're using the conversations on our show and, you know, with the David Stearns, the Genie Buses, the Mark Cubans, and Jack Nicholases to learn more about the behind the scenes of the sports world. And really, you know, that's why I started the, the show is I had this great kind of list of people that I had worked with throughout the sports world, and I thought, you know, all my friends complain that there's a, a smarter, wiser version of sports radio out there somewhere. Um, they don't want to just hear the X's and O's and fire the coach and kind of the bar stool radio that existed. They want a deeper conversation about what goes on behind the scenes. And, you know, we started that back in 2004, like I said, and, you know, it's really resonated with people and, and uh, we've certainly found an audience. So it's been a lot of fun, and it's great with social media to be able to interact with people around the world. Interesting. It's really, really great. And, you know, you've developed a really interesting platform where you're, you know, sort of owning the conversation on the podcast in social, you know, at, at some of the tours and events you're doing. And, you know, I obviously want to talk briefly before we let you go about about the Sports Business Summit, and, and, and it's something that you found, you know, a couple of years ago, and it has really taken off, and, and, and now I'm excited for Burger Shop to be, to, to be a part of it and for Hyper to, you know, provide some data around it. And just talk to the audience a little bit about, you know, the idea and what it is and, you know, what you expect uh, out in San Francisco in July. Sure. So the Sports PR Summit, we launched that four years ago in New York City. And, you know, the main reason I launched that is I think our industry can be better. And I used to go to the NBA League meetings, and it was great to be able to, you know, sit over the course of a few days and trade best practices with other teams in the NBA. But I always left there saying, gosh, you know, what if I want to talk to someone from the NFL or the NHL or Major League Baseball or even the collegiate ranks or brands like Nike and Adidas? There was never anything that truly brought together the sports world uh, in one room. And, you know, I kind of formulated a, a list, a, a steering committee of people who I trust and people who are at senior positions in communications throughout the sports world. And they all really liked the idea and got behind it, so that gave us some credibility. And, um, you know, the first few years we did our event at the MLB Fan Cave in New York, which was Major League Baseball's venue, which is now not in existence anymore, but it was a really terrific venue. Um, one of the things we also decided is because everyone in our industry travels and stays in hotels all the time, we don't want to take our event to a hotel. We want to do it in a unique setting like you experienced uh, last month at the Players' Tribune in New York. So we've been to Sports Illustrated, um, and we try and go to unique places. So um, that is something that brings together strategic communications people. It's invite-only. We limit it to 125 people, whereas a lot of events want to get to be 900 to 1,000 people. We will always remain intimate. We will make sure that when you walk in the room, you're looking across the table at your senior PR peers, and, you know, you saw from Jeff Gordon to Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, to Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, to, you know, Isaiah Thomas, who plays for the Celtics. We had an A-list group of uh, panelists and, and speakers at our event. So, um, and then the Players' Tribune was a great venue to have our event, and they were a tremendous partner on the event. So we always wanted to start a West Coast event, and we thought, you know, a panel – on social media in New York wasn't enough. So we are blowing out that conversation. We're doing it over the course of a full day on July 20th at Twitter headquarters in San Francisco. Um, and we're going to have some people presenting to us the latest and greatest tools when it comes to social media. How do you monetize social media? How do you, you know, capture who's uh, engaging with you on social media, and then most importantly for a lot of brands and teams and leagues, how do you come up with compelling content on a 24-7, 365 basis? Because that's what everyone's charged with now. You've got to have constant compelling content that resonates with the audience. So looking forward to that on July 20th, the night before 
Um, people who register for our event are also invited to a networking event at Bleacher Report headquarters in San Francisco. So really a great opportunity to go inside and peek behind the curtain at Bleacher Report and then the next day at Twitter to learn from some really interesting people to kind of see what's coming from Twitter and from some other technologies. So we're very excited about uh, a West Coast event and doing this in San Francisco. And, again, I'd invite people to go to sportsprsummit.com for more information and to request an invitation. We've still got some spots remaining. Brian, can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks, bud. This was awesome. I appreciate you jumping on and spending a couple of minutes with Inside the Burger Shop, my long-lost brother from another mother, Brian Berger. <laughs> Thanks so much, bud. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon uh, in San Francisco. Can't wait. That was uh, Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio and Sports Business Podcast and Sports PR Summit, and really just a genuine great guy and a guy who uh, is doing a lot to take this uh, industry to the next level. And uh, we thank him for spending a couple of minutes on Inside the Burger Shop today with us and and uh, and giving us some insights about uh, how he works and what he's up to and uh, and some really interesting stuff around his work with the Portland Trailblazers and of course his you know his work with all of the stuff today. So thanks to Brian for for all of that. is on that could only mean one thing that sound it is time for the hyper heat report we're going to look at three people today three influencers in the hyper heat report Derek Rose Ben Simmons and Phil Jackson and when we look at their the hyper heat report we're going to look at their data that was brought to us by hyper the largest search engine for influencers and celebrities in the world. We look at Derek Rose, 10.5 million followers on Facebook, 2.5 million followers on Twitter, and 90,000 followers on Instagram. D. Rose with about 13 million followers worldwide, but he's getting all of his action, interestingly, on Facebook. Gets about 75,000 reactions per post. Derek, a big Facebook user. 57% of his following is in the U.S., followed by the Philippines, Spain, and the U.K. And when you look at D. Rose's biggest following, it's 33 to 39, with over 30% of Derek's following uh, the age 33 to 39. So D. Rose, I'm sure his numbers will grow significantly with about 12 million followers as he's now come to the capital, New York City. Uh, but interesting to look at a guy like D. Rose and his social. And the guy who brought him in is none other than Phil Jackson. And we know the Zen Master is a big social media guy, big on Twitter with uh, almost a million followers, getting about 1,300 favorites per post and about 17 comments from the hyper data. We know that Phil has 88% men who follow him and about 12% women. And from an age group standpoint, Phil skews a little bit older with uh, 33 to 39 at 37% and down to uh, about 22% when you look at the 26 to 32-year-old audience. So that is what the Zen Masters social media looks like from Hyper. And then the third is Ben Simmons, number one pick in the draft, the LSU lefty, who now has joined the Philadelphia 76ers. And big Instagram user, almost 570,000 uh, Instagram followers, another 133,000 on Twitter. But he, his engagement is about 30,000 likes for every one of his posts on Instagram and will only get bigger. Ben with 9% of his following socially from Australia and 66% from the U.S. So Ben, very big 
in Australia and big with 19 to 25-year-olds. Ben has 92% men who follow him, so he's got to work on that female audience. But, of course, Ben, one of the big names over the past couple of weeks when it comes to uh, the NBA and sports. So, interesting. Thanks to Hyper for that information on the Hyper Heat Index. And uh, that about wraps up a really fun show today. We uh, we spent about an, an hour talking to uh, about 25 minutes with the great Tommy D from the Knicks blog and talking about Kevin Durant and all Knicks. And, of course, um, a really good talk with my buddy Brian Berger out in Portland, the founder of Sports Business Radio and the Sports PR Summit. I'm looking forward to catching up with him and his team out in twi- at Twitter and Bleacher Report in a couple of weeks. We thank everybody for listening to the show of course you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes by searching inside the burger shop looking forward to a great week and a wonderful july 4th weekend hope everybody has a safe fun time celebrating uh, freedom celebrating this great country of ours and as my man mad dog russo likes to say adios Podcast, the one that you heard about, talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth, social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be, talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next, cause that's the type of podcast you listen to, powered by the hyper, brands who the man, yo, Ryan at the forefront, got it on my iTunes, walking through the storefront, listen to the broadcast, he touches almost anything, sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing, so listen to the man right ahead of his time, on your podcast, you can download or listen live, so here comes the podcast here comes your host the burger shop now live from coast to coast in any way you want to do it listen to the show ron got the insights the burger shop you know With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.